It's the ACDC Beyond the Thunder Podcast. With your host, Kurt Squires. It's time to rock. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of ACDC Beyond the Thunder, the podcast where extraordinary fans salute this extraordinary band. I'm your host, Kurt Squires, and along with cohort Greg Ferguson, we both set out to scour the earth to find those chosen few whose lives have been blessed in some way, shape, or form by these legendary Rock and Roll Hall of Famers known as ACDC. Today's guest is none other than the inimitable Dee Snyder, singer, songwriter, radio personality, screenwriter, Yes, even actor, but best known as the frontman for Twisted Sister, a band formed back in 1976. Dee, thank you for joining the ranks with us here today, here in the seediest bar that we could find in Long Island, New York. Sorry about that. Actually, not too far from where you grew up in Astoria, Queens. One of the main criteria for being a guest on Beyond the Thunder podcast is without a doubt being a lifelong ACDC fan and it's just coursing through your veins but there's always a starting point right it, it there's always that first time that you heard the band so D tell us the first time you heard ACDC where were you what was your reaction was it immediate did it take some time getting used to I clearly remember the first time I heard ACDC it um it literally changed my life. I mean, it really did. And, and I, But the first time I heard them was at a club called the Gemini North in Yorktown Heights, New York, 1970. I'm guessing eight or not. Eight, I'm guessing. Um, this place was one of the first places to have video screens, big TV screens. And they would show uh, movie footage that they would get their hands on. This is pre-dates video. But they would air Midnight Special. Yes. And they had all the bands, and they were playing this band do, called ACDC, doing Sin City. Uh, and I was completely blown away, completely taken by the band. Probably first was Bon Scott's voice. Um, coming from that high, raunchy singing style, you know, Alice Cooper background and whatever, uh, Bon's voice spoke to me. And at that point, I would say he was my last major vocal influence changing my vocal stylings wow. to, to where they eventually became whatever the D. Snyder voice is but but Bon had a huge effect and then you know I was a, a mover on stage and seeing my band were movers but seeing Angus just thrashing around the stage uh, but I, I saw ACDC on Midnight Special immediately saw it at their albums immediately started listening studying changing the way I was writing music up till then, I was into very, you know, busy metallic music, and here I was was it was it reintroduced to the simplicity of straight ahead three four chord rock. Um, that completely changed me. And one step further, when I was doing heavy metal mania to spread the word to turn people onto new music, Twisted Sister was very big on doing that in the clubs. We're your pipeline. I'm your pipeline. We want to expose people, you yeah. know, to band. Right. And ACDC was one of those bands you just had to share. And I'm glad you brought up the topic of sharing, um, because when ACDC had only been around for five years or so, like when you were first introduced to their music, I remember those days um, as an early fan being looked at like I had two heads 
being associated with a band like ACDC, right? Like, it would take years, even after Bond had died, for ACDC to lock in with the rest of the world as being a credible band. Were you selling ACDC as hard as you could back then? Uh, being one of the original ACDC fans, I was, uh, <clears throat> you know, championing them. And like so many people do when you find a band that nobody knows about, I call it the, the diamond in the pocket theory. That when we find a band that nobody knows about, basically we found a diamond. And we have the diamond, and we're carrying that diamond with us. And we know we've got a diamond, but nobody else knows we have a diamond, and nobody else knows it's a diamond. <laughs> and for some reason, we pull it out. It looks like a lump of coal to them. To us, it's clearly a diamond. Can right. you see this diamond? And we do everything we can to display that diamond, to share that diamond. We wear the you know, and I'll go back to the band. We wear the band's name. We write it on our school books. We sure. jam it down people's throats. We blast in our car. And then, with any true diamond, comes a day that everybody realizes it's a diamond. And all of a sudden, everybody starts crowding around. And everybody's pushing you out of the way because they want to see the diamond. And all of a sudden, you're at the back of the pack looking at the diamond that you had in your pocket <laughs> that nobody would even take you, listen to you or take you seriously about. You've been trying to tell for years, and now? They now know it's a diamond? <laughs> right. And even worse, my favorite line, of course, and this makes everybody nuts, and as an original Queen fan and an original ACDC fan, hey, did you get ACDC's first album, Back in Black? <laughs> you know, or, you know, Hey man, you know Brian Johnson sounds a little different on their second record, Dirty Deeds. Like, you know, you just want to choke the life out of people. Right. So, um, but as a guy who carried that diamond, and uh, and and my band did too, and as someone who cheered them on, and uh, I, you know, I'm proud to have been one of the original cheer people cheering. I'm proud that they have not let me down. They don't That's let you down, thing. do they? They don't let you down. They don't. You know. I know I've disappointed fans when they thought that we changed or went commercial or whatever, and whether it's true or not, there's a point of disappointment. ACDC has never disappointed me. They've never let me down. And, uh, you know, and as a fan, what more can you ask? Being in the business for so long, what was your first connection to ACDC once you made it through the ranks with Twisted Sister? Because you never toured with ACDC, but you were on the same record label with Atlantic, correct? My manager's name is Phil Carson. He was the, uh, the head of, it, of, of um, Atlantic Records Europe. He signed ACDC. Right. Phil's a very important guy. Okay. Uh, and... Uh, he, uh, so, and he signed Twisted Sister, and he signed ELP, and ABBA, and Yes, and uh, the guys, uh, I mean, guys, an amazing track record of music. But he signed ACDC, and he signed it, um, and this isn't the story I want to tell you, but it was like two in the morning, he had met a girl in a pub who was somehow related or connected to the ACDC camp, and she was in England trying to get someone to take a look at the band because they had a deal, they had the two albums out in, uh, in Australia. Mm -hmm. So uh, she had a 16 millimeter projector with a 16 millimeter film of them doing It's a Long Way to the Top. They're one of those deals that you'd set up, like this is very old before your time, but <laughs> you would open up the case and there would be a screen built in and you project it. Right. And she, uh, Phil brought it to his office and she set the camera and he watched them in a club doing um, it's a long way to the top and he said i want to sign them <laughs> and she said are you kidding me 
And he said, no. He was, and, and I still, he's the only person in the record industry that I have any kind of ongoing relationship with. Uh, he's a dear friend and a guy who's like, always even in the, he, he's a guy who trusted his gut and you never see that at higher levels of, uh, in record companies. Once they get up, out of, you know, they, they sign a big band and they get promoted out of the A&R position, they lose their, their sack. They're, they're afraid. <laughs> this guy, he signed Twisted Sister, even though we've been rejected by Atlantic Records five times in America. He signed ACDC based on a tape. And they called up, uh, got Angus on the phone and said, hello, I want I'm Phil Carson. I'm the head of Atlantic Records. I'd like to sign your band. Wow, it's amazing. I love that story. It, it's talk about a milestone moment in a band's career. Um, when ACDC talks about their roots, who they've been musically influenced by it's not always who you'd expect it's not necessarily the bands from the 60s and 70s but rock originators like bo diddley and muddy and jerry lee and chuck and little richard and as a kid if you told me that tutti frutti was the song that changed angus's life i'd be like what but now i kind of get it i was always been very confused by uh, ACDC's influences, like where it came from. I knew it came from basic rock and roll. Um, you know, I would assume Stones and I would assume The Who, right. yet I couldn't make a clear connection. Um, to hear that they say it's more from the 50s, I could see it, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, bon Scott's vocal stylings, I mean, you know, uh, you know, I mean, coming out of Little Richard, I could see it. You know, so I mean, and 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 whatever it was, um, it is wholly unique. And and I, I, uh, the success of ACDC, the recognition that they get, it it gives me faith in the world. It makes me think that maybe there is a God, because <laughs> a lot of times you wonder. But right. when a band like this gets appreciated and recognized the way they should be on their terms, on their terms, yeah, on their terms. That's the thing. They've never done anything but be ACDC. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just what they do. You know, it's what they do and how they do it, and they love it. And they're un, they're unrepentant, unapologetic. They don't shouldn't be, and they're defiant. That's an excellent point, D. And it actually makes me wonder: ACDC has, for all intents and purposes, become a huge brand. It's big business. You're not only hearing ACDC everywhere but you're seeing that logo everywhere. And i it's so curious to me how they created this genre unto themselves from a sound that on the surface sounds completely simple, but clearly isn't. How did ACDC essentially become the Pied Piper of hard rock? And how did it affect you and your band? Well, you know, ACDC is certainly one of the biggest bands in history, one of the biggest selling bands in history. There's no doubt they, they get their props. They've sort of moved to this new level of, of just respect and admiration. And it's just, I mean, ACDC radio and Walmart carrying ACDC. And, you know, I mean, uh, and, and the tour is selling out. Like, people are just hungry for ACDC shows and airplay immediately just because it's ACDC, you know. That's great, but... I never hear people talk about the long-term effect that they had on music. Mm -hmm. They didn't just change me. They changed, I want to say everybody, but so many bands started studying the simplicity of ACDC, studying the 
the, the, the structure of an ACDC song, studying the straight four beat, which is essentially a variation on a disco beat, <laughs> but I excuse them. But um, And using that as becomes the backbone of so many bands, boom, da, boom, da, boom, da, yeah. yelling how many angry drummers there were in the world because the bands were telling them, no, 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 dude, not boom, boom, da, boom, boom, no, boom, da, boom, da. So I'm not a metronome, you know, too hmm. bad. ACDC's got it, the pulse, the drive, you know. Now, are you talking about pre-Mutt Lang ACDC or post-Mutt Lang? Now, you listen to Mutt Lang pre-Back in Black. There is no evidence of what I think became the uh, Mutt Lang sound and the Mutt Lang song structure, but suddenly he goes to ACDC school. ACDC did not go to Mutt Lang school. You know, credit to Mutt Lang, you know, for tonalities. He made a great sounding album, brought out some of the best performances out of Brian Johnson, mm -hmm. really made him work at the lead vocals sure. on those records. Um, and, you know, some of their greatest songwriting structure. I mean, certainly. I think I think Mutt uh, was, was great at pushing bands to be more. Totally agree. But he walked out of there going, oh, boy, did I just get a new arsenal of tricks. And all of a sudden, it's Def Leppard. Boom, da, boom, da, boom, da. The ACDC groove. And all of a sudden, every band that he works on, he's taking it to Billy Ocean. He's taking it to Shania Twain. He's, he's taking the ACD. That it became his, his like, basics, the basis. Sure, he, he spun off, but it was the basis. What he learned from that ACDC, those three ACDC albums, right? Highway to Hell, Back yes. in Black, and, and For Those About to Rock. Right. He learned a lot. And then you go beyond that. ZZ Top, the Eliminator record. Huh. Come on. That was an ACDC album. Really? For the love of, I mean, I love ZZ Top, but all of a sudden, where, what happened between, you know, uh, whatever, you know, the, the previous, uh, their album, and, and Eliminator? That's a fair point. They changed everything. Hell, they're using a drum machine. But, uh, I mean, <laughs> cause probably because Frank Beard couldn't play like that, that straight. But uh, the fact, I mean, and yet no one seemed to, to me, no one ever seemed to mention or give them their due. The, the hair metal scene, the majority of the hair metal bands, boom, da, boom, da, ACDC. And it's more than just the bass, drum, and snare. It was the, doo -doo 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 -doo, the drive, the damn, 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 damn. I mean, you know, I was always the first to say they changed the way I viewed music. They made me realize it didn't have to be busy. It didn't have to be complicated. Right. You know, pre-ACDC, it was songs like Under the Blade and everything was like that, you know, busy, a lot of parts. Lot. And then that's just the beauty of a sledgehammer, you know? <laughs> the beauty of a sledgehammer. Awesome soundbite. So you had mentioned Under the Blade. Um, shoot him down just so happens to be my favorite Twisted Sister song. And that track definitely has an ACDC vibe to it, right? Well, Shoot Em Down was, was, uh, was a tribute to ACDC. It was my first true ACDC song. Like, what are they doing? You know, and I remember sitting there to the drummer, you know, no, man, no. Boom, da, boom, da. And no, no, the bass player. And they all hated me for it because nobody's playing anymore because they didn't get it yet. Just... The importance, it's not about sh about you. It's about the effect you're having on the audience. Right. And, you know, you go to the ACDC rhythm section, you know, in Rudd We Trust, 
You know, that's I saw, I saw some kid with a T-shirt on that, that said that. In Run We Trust, that's he had awesome. it made. And uh, it is so true. I mean... Um, Brian Johnson once said, it's about these five average guys, but when they come together, they create this magic thing called ACDC. There's something to be said about that rhythm section. Cliff and Phil are just, I mean, one of the most incredible, they're a Ramones-like totally. machine. And when you see For Those About to Rock, and which I saw in the theaters, you know, because that's, you know, when I came out of the movie theater, cool. and they are putting on the braces and the tape, yes. and these guys are going into battle because for 90 minutes or two hours, he's just doing, doo -doo 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 -doo. you want to talk about tinnitus? You want to talk about tennis elbow? What do you think that's got to do to you? <laughs> Easily one of my favorite scenes from the film Let There Be Rock Live in Paris where the band is about to go on stage and it looks like they're about to play a rugby match. Dee, I'm wondering if you could share a favorite story of how you might have seen ACDC crossover or affect our culture in some way that our listeners might not know about. Um, is there a moment when you said, wow, everyone is taking note of this band now? For me... It was seeing uh, a Gap commercial maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. It was on TV where this beautiful African-American woman by the name of Cherokee was playing back in black with a Gibson SG. And she looks into the camera and says, my first love, Angus Young. And I was like, I stopped dead in my tracks and I said, wow, this has become a cultural shift here. Did you ever have any of those crossover moments a great ACDC story and just talk about the crossover of these pretty unassuming uh, unassuming guys you know from Australia by way of Scotland um, you know and not including Brian of course who's a Geordie um, but I did a, a, a VH1 classic special and uh, they had and, and was a was a Thanksgiving dinner and they had gathered a whole bunch of people around the table. And it was uh, Davy Jones from the Monkees. I remember Terry Nunn from Berlin. MC Hammer was there. <laughs> um, I was there. I think Eddie Money. It was a real diverse, they've deliberately picked a diverse group of people. I yeah. was the host for this Thanksgiving dinner, table, you know, sort of a round table, just conversation. And at some point, they asked each of us, what song would we want to be our, you know, remembered, not a song, our song, that represents us, like our legacy would represent us. If you had to pick one song. It got to MC Hammer and he goes, just one song. Dan, 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 no way. Dan, dan, dan. And everybody at the table, Davy Jones and Terry Nunn and me, and, dan, 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 and the whole here. table start doing this. You know, and I said, man, you know, that's crossing over, that's reaching through ethnic barriers, age barriers, or Davies <laughs> in his 60s. MC obviously is black, in case somebody didn't know he's black. <laughs> Terry Nunn, she's from the whole nother thing. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, Elvis is sitting there going like this, air guitar and, and shaking her head, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Back in the mid 80s, when the PMRC were making waves about censoring music, you took a stand alongside Frank Zappa and John Denver, and kudos to you for carrying the flag for artists protecting their freedom of speech. But this committee was founded by four women known as the Washington Wives, one of which was Tipper Gore. They came up with a list called the 50, um, sorry, the Filthy 15, 
which featured Twisted Sisters, We're Not Gonna Take It, correct? We're Not Gonna Take It was on there, yeah. But also, ACDC's Let Me Put My Love Into You made that list, which compared to your We're Not Gonna Take It was simply benign next to Let Me Put My Love Into You, Let Me Cut Your Cake With My Knife. There, I mean, you can't compare the two. How do you actually defend an ACDC song with lyrics like that? Yeah, I mean, ACDC... Uh songs are lousy with double entendre. They are the kings. Well, if not the kings, I mean, certainly Whitesnake gives them a run for their money. You know, slide it in right to the top. Slide it in. You know, never go... Uh, Whitesnake. Hell, the band. Whitesnake. You know. Um, but, uh, you know, that was that's very big with metal. You know, is double entendre. Uh, you know, for an audience that's 95% dudes, you know, which is another whole, another whole story. Uh, but that, but that said, uh, yeah, Twisted's music was none of those things. We're not gonna take it. Was on the Filthy 15. They felt they should have a violent, uh, a violence rating, because they had seen the video and determined that oh, if the video's violent, uh, the song's violent, and that thus needs a V rating. Um, you know, I gave the senators the lyrics, and I said, feel free to read them. I said, uh, they're no more violent than the Declaration of Independence. I mean, there's, you know, fight for what you believe in, fight, you know, it's, it's just, isn't that what this country's all about? So, uh, yeah, but I mean, there was no denying that uh, Brian's lyrics on Let Me Put My Love Into You was about fucking. <laughs> it was like, and that's a, you know, and some of the band, you know, that's why when I went there, I didn't, a, I didn't try. I felt it was my place to defend other people's music. B, I didn't want to have to defend some other people's music. I mean, not there's anything wrong with it, but I mean, yeah, I mean, there was no doubt about what Let Me Put My Love To You is about, or Sink The Pink, for that matter. And now that you've had kids and they're grown, were you able to see Tipper's point of view of what she was trying to do? Or in your mind, was it all just a waste of time? And, and have you ever talked with Tipper about this whole event in music history? I've never met Tipper face to face. We were, you know, uh, opposing sides and at the Senate hearings on on, uh, censorship, on um, rating rock lyrics. Um, I had a son at that time uh, and I'm proud to say there isn't one thing that I said that day that I don't stand behind 100% today. Uh, and not a lot of people can say that. That's because I've always tried to not do things that I would regret and, and think about the, my actions and you know stand by so I could stand by them. So I'd love for them to bring me back for another round of discussions uh, about not only about you know the idea of censorship but how right I was about how wrongly their sticker would be used and what little it's done for their cause. You know, but uh, you know, my concerns were that it would be used as a way to eliminate product from the masses, and is exactly what it's been used for. And even beyond that, there are major chains that are forcing their companies to produce edited versions of the albums, and the buyer doesn't know it's edited. So you, the record buyer, goes or CD buyer goes to a store looking for a particular album, and you don't know you're getting a censored version of it. So you're not even hearing the artist product or you know getting what they wanted tell me the differences between a band like acdc and a band like twisted sister both made great strides in the early 80s both straight ahead hard rock but by the end of that decade 
things got a little rough for that genre of music. How is that ACDC was able to survive that and Twisted Sister, not so much? You got it. Credit with AC to ACDC for myopicness, you know, and 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 an unwillingness to uh, inflexibility, an unwillingness to to change, you know, or be affected by things happening around them, you know, um, where you know I was uh, once I had achieved stardom and made money and proved that I was somebody and got everybody's attention. It took the wind out of my sails since a lot of my drive was about proving I was somebody. And as I've often said, I remember literally sitting poolside, my million dollar house, five cars, two boats in the driveway, and I'm trying to write the lyrics to Summer Day. I'm trying to write the lyrics to my next big teen angst song. And I'm just like, I got nothing. <laughs> nothing. You know, I was like, pissed off I don't know it's just, it's not coming out you know uh, but you know ACDC whatever it is that drives them whatever it is that pushes them that's not changed success never changed that and maybe they've never really become celebrities they never become stars in the sense of you know where you've seen them in the tabloids or you see them on you know Letterman or you know or where I was on or presenting like I did the Grammy Awards all of a sudden Entertainment Tonight's doing stories on me and stuff like that all of a sudden I'm getting caught up in this sort of Hollywoodness and they've just gone back home wherever that was you know and and, and did their you know and back to their normal lives you say what how's ACDC kept it alive I, I guess there's a purity to what they do a purity to what they do and a mystique surrounding the band because they say yes to so little um which is why i love them in the first place and to be honest with you i i wish they would say yes to beyond the thunder <laughs> that would be nice let's talk about cover songs you took on a tremendous version of sin city as well as walk all over you with um scotty in on guitar i believe if i'm not mistaken great selects there for sure any reason why you chose those particular ACDC tracks out of the catalog? Well, um, covering Walk All Over You with, it was Anthrax. They uh, called me because they used to come see Twisted in the bars. And that's, they grew up watching Twisted Sister. They knew I could sing that stuff. They're like, hey, I know I could do Bon Scott. It's funny because I still to this day, I'll get the call, you know, um, slash a call up. Hey, uh, we're doing Camp Freddy, uh, you know, with Dave Navarro. Uh, we hear you can sing ACDC. Yeah, I can sing. Could you come down and sing ACDC? Yeah, let's go, man. I love singing ACDC. Um, so not everybody can do that anymore. As far as Twisted covering Sin City on, uh, on uh, you know, it was one of the songs we played in the clubs. I mean, I can remember we played a ton of ACDC. Highway to Hell, Evil Walks, Doggy Dog, Dirty Deeds, Sin City. Um, whole lot of oh, Rosie. More than that. Oh, yeah. oh, Rosie. Whole lot of Rosie. Which you also played live on stage with Brian Johnson, correct? Yeah, we did. That was a great thing at a festival in, in England. Uh, Brian Johnson was there, and uh, he came out and sang a whole lot of Rosie uh, with Twisted. And, you know, and that was, uh, you know, that, that was just a, a very cool thing to get to do. 
And you have to understand, and I'm sure you know this, but that doesn't happen very often when a member of ACDC either joins someone on stage or is joined on stage. So kudos to you. That's a huge honor. They didn't even want to play a grand finale at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because they wanted nothing to do with sharing the stage. I'm surprised they even shared the stage with Steven Tyler, to be honest with you. But Brian's a fan of Twisted Sister, right? Yeah, I think Brian's a friend, and I think he, you know, watching Twisted, uh, he appreciated our our energy and our and our performance ethic. You know, I mean, a lot of people, those who've seen us, know. Those who haven't seen us have no clue. They, you know, they sort of think they've got us figured out because they all oh, the videos. Yeah, videos, those two songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't realize that for uh, first and foremost, we're a performance-oriented band, and you know, and and working up a sweat is just you know, part of the deal. You know, again, you know, seeing Angus, you know, a kindred spirit, thrashing his head, dripping, sweat flying off his body. There was a, a magazine, a local fanzine. Uh, in Long Island called Kick-Ass Monthly. And back in uh, 1978 or whatever, uh, or, uh, or maybe a couple of years later, but he uh, said that Dee Snyder and Angus Young invented headbanging. <laughs> um, it, I wasn't headbanging. I was getting the hair out of my face. And I think Angus is probably doing the same thing. <laughs> you know, you throw your head forward and all the hair goes and you go, oh crap, and you throw it back and it goes out and you go, oh, throw it you, yeah, and it's back forward and you go back and it just becomes this thing, you know? Right. And that became headbanging, but it really wasn't a thing before Angus did it. And, uh, and I was proud, you know, that you know, I was getting cited a little bit in there too. Here's a little known fact that both Angus Young and Dee Snyder were born just two weeks apart same year, same age, both take on different personalities on stage. Angus with the schoolboy uniform, yourself in women's clothing <laughs> and makeup. Both have alter egos, so to speak. Uh, neither of you drink or do drugs, right? Both teetotalers. Angus yeah. and I are both clean and sober, exactly. not drinkers, not partiers. Uh, you know, I, Angus is, is one of those guys I, I really wish I had the opportunity to connect with more. I got to meet him once and uh, it was a, it is few people that I am want to meet, impressed to, uh, impressed to meet and and uh, you know and Angus is on a very short list with uh, Alice Cooper and Ronald Schwarzenegger. I wanted to bring up this quote I remember hearing. I think it was Courtney Love saying something to the effect that ACDC are nothing more than vaudeville or a gimmick. Well, I have this one gimmick, and that's Angus. He has a one. The rest of the band is his jeans and tees, and they always were. But Angus always had his schoolboy thing. I think she saw the cannons and the bell, or the train, the the rosy inflatable, even the schoolboy uniform, as more important to the show than the music, potentially. How important is all of that to ACDC's brand now, in your mind? I never thought the schoolboy thing was that important to me. You know. Uh, as a fan, um, I mean, it, it caught my eye at first. They're very diminutive, very little. I remember when uh, Angus met my seven-year-old son, who's and my whole family are ACDC fans. It was about this big, and Angus walks in and he goes, "Hey, you're almost bigger than me," <laughs> and it was true. Uh, he was. Uh, you know, my struggle with meeting Angus was that 
I hear I was meeting a hero, and I realized I am towering over this guy, right. and I want to tell him how much his music means to me. I don't want to be looking down at it. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that, but no. I didn't want that sort of, because you know, the looking down thing is almost authoritative. So I wanted to look him in the eye. So what I did was, I, I noticed there was like a folding chair. So when they, they, they brought Angus over to meet me, I grabbed the folding chair and slid it over and I put my foot up on it and leaned on it like this. I was like, hey Angus, it's great to meet you. And I was talking to him face to face. Um, <laughs> so the schoolboy outfit, I really, something I, you know, I've, look, it's not for me to judge. As a fan, as a, an original fan, he could have dropped that, you know, many years ago, uh, come out, you know, on one of the albums without it, and I would have gone, yeah, okay. Really? You know, he's thrashing around, you know, uh, but he obviously believes or thought there was a there was a direct connection to it, you know, to 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 what he does. I suppose it's a bit like Clark Kent, that mentality where the wardrobe puts you into another character emotionally. There is something about Donnie Garb that puts you into the that place that 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 you, and then once you, when you do it regularly it sort of triggers uh as an, emo, as an emotional and, and physiological trigger for you so you're feeling like shit it's you know you're on the road it's a long day your throat hurts whatever you're just not into it and you start putting on the makeup and you start putting on the costume and all of a sudden it brings you it 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 connects you with that persona so who knows i mean if that's the case for me Maybe he's, it's the same way for him. Maybe coming off, you know, and, and going on stage to thrash, he needs his thrashing clothes, you know, and his shorts and a little schoolboy outfit. And the funniest thing about the outfit, I always thought, was the hat. Because right. the hat would, you know, and, and there's a great video from France, if you've ever seen a bootleg of, uh, of a French concert video. They open with live wire. Yeah. And it starts at the top. And you just start with, with the little, oh, it's awesome, dude. With the, with the spotlight on the feet going shuffling. Ding, 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 And he's going back and forth. And then all of a sudden he kicks in. He goes, Hoo-ah! and the hat just flies off. And that's the end of the hat. So it's like, why ever put it on? You know, or at least Brian should teach him how to balance it. Right. You know, <laughs> Brian's got it like moving around. Keeps the hat always steady. Right. Every show, it's two seconds and it's gone. Yeah, it's like, Phew! it's gone. Especially since Angus is now in his let's call it senior years, even he's admitted to questioning himself about putting on that schoolboy uniform as he continues to get older and perform live. And personally and selfishly, I hope he never loses the schoolboy uniform. Uh, do you ever feel that way, performing live in costume um, as you get older? It's interesting, I having trouble putting on the schoolboy uniform. Um, I, you know, having donned the Twisted Sister regalia, I'm continuing to don it. Um, it. I don't know if I have trouble doing it, but I marvel at it. <laughs> and I do say, at what point, you know, do you say, okay, you know, enough? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think we think one thing is when you can't pull it off mm -hmm. anymore, physically. Uh, and you know, but there's certainly the, uh, there's a there's a number probably attached there somehow. With Twisted Sister, I say you know. It's a good news, bad news scenario. Scenario: The bad news is we look like a bunch of aging drag queens. The good news is we always look like a bunch of aging drag queens. <laughs> Nothing's changed. So it isn't like we were a bunch of pretty boys back in the 80s. Everybody's going, whoa, what happened? You know, which is what they're doing with a lot of the other bands. Um, so some bizarre way, I'm pulling it off, but I totally understand Angus's dilemma. 
the, the reason I put this stuff on is because I think that's what the fans want. I mean, no, sure. even though ACDC is still very vital, certainly more vital than Twisted Sister, you know, and contemporary than Twisted Sister, um, there's still a nostalgia ele uh, element involved with ACDC. This is the band of many people's youth, mm -hmm. and they want the memory, that we want Angus eternally to be the schoolboy. Yeah. That's a tough cross to bear. Yeah, it is. So my background is as a creative director, art director, and I was truly fascinated by Bob Deffren's work as an art director packaging ACDC's brand with these provocative album covers, sort of mysterious and evil, always a little bit tongue in cheek, but how important do you think his work was in corralling new fans? Um, did it pair with the music in your mind? You know, certainly the artwork was eye-catching, and I actually remember seeing the high-voltage artwork, and mm -hmm. it was just, you know, really eye-grabbing. Angus, uh, another thing we have commonality, the crazy faces and stuff, with the, you know, being electro electrocuted with wires coming out of his uh, out of his arms, you know, it was like, whoa, what's that, you know? So, I mean, it certainly, the artwork certainly spoke to uh, the, the, the power of the band, the intensity of the band. Um, and it's really, you know, it, it, it's really kind of amazing that, you know, in many ways, ACDC is similar to Twisted Sister and that there was a sensational aspect of them, the craziness that has a tendency to overexpose you and burn you out. Certainly with Twisted Sister, you know, it's that craziness that gets everybody watching you and checking you out, but after a while they get tired of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and if there's not more there, as far as the, the audience is concerned, they move on. Yet ACDC utilizing, you know, we have this crazy little lead, this crazy little guitar player who is like a thrash machine, and we're playing these very basic songs, but that was their whole hook. I mean, I almost think that the record company didn't realize what they had. I almost think the record company, and uh, nothing against Bob Deffren, but he was just like, there's nothing really here. These songs are pretty repetitive. They're pretty much the same song over and over. How are we gonna? What are we gonna use to get people to check them out? Well, yeah. this kid's kind of crazy. He's a nutty kind of kid. Let's just like you know, let's emphasize, let's bring that out. That's funny. let's make that the focus. Hey, crazy guy, crazy guys in the band, <laughs> come see the crazy guy. Yeah, you know, and uh, to an extent, it worked. I mean, it certainly caught your eye. Absolutely. As you know, every success story has its conspiracy theories, and ACDC is surely not immune to those, especially surrounding the turn of events with the death of Bon Scott and the passing of the torch to Brian Johnson, both of who I treasure equally. Um, but I'm curious if you've heard anything in this area that you'd like to share. Did you know? that Bon Scott picked Brian Johnson as his replacement at dinner at a club, after hours club, with the guys at ACDC. And I don't know if Jordy had performed or, uh, or was on the road with them maybe or what, but um, he says uh, Bon Scott rolls up to the table with his arm around Brian Johnson hmm. and he announces the band. He says, if anything ever happens to me, this is my replacement. Wow. Wow. And um, it wasn't as simple as that. As you know, they auditioned a few people. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it was Brian. 
But uh, Bon Scott, and, and it's kind of prophetic and a little scary that he would even think in terms of if something happens to me. And it was probably a joke, you know, two drinking buddies or whatever. But uh, I mean, it certainly wasn't a joke. I mean, vocally, Brian was certainly uh, cut out for the job. But yeah, but Bon Scott picked Brian Johnson as his replacement. That is some Twilight Zone stuff. ACDC is a generational band now. You go to shows and you see grandparents and their grandkids at shows. I've taken my entire family a handful of times. Um, Angus and Malcolm have actually touched my wife's pregnant belly backstage, which means my son has officially been baptized. But have you exposed ACDC to your family as well? ACDC, you know, this is a band that transcends generations. Its appeal is, is is consistent, you know, and so it's it's me, my wife, you know, I've got my 15-year-old son, my 10-year-old son, my uh, my my then eight-year-old son. I don't think our daughter was born yet at that point, and we've all got our ACDC shirts on. And Cody, the youngest, we couldn't find him a little one, so my wife makes him an ACDC shirt. Cool. So we're you know, and we are just the whole family. We're just you know, on our feet, rocking. And this is a so. And Cody wants to hear one song. It's Money Talks. Huh. I mean, he likes a lot of this song, but he wants to hear Money Talks. It's his favorite song. They don't play Money Talks. So now you got this seven, eight-year-old kid, this cutest little blonde-head, mop-head kid, and he's really bummed. So his favorite band, and they didn't play his favorite song. And it's just amazing. How big is your band have to be to have so much, so many hits, so much great material that you can, you don't have time to play some of your biggest records? Like, yeah, we're not going to do money talks because we don't have any time in the set. It was like a top 10 hit or something. It was big. I think I've heard that they don't particularly like money talks that much. Brian once said it's a stinker to sing. <laughs> they don't like it? No, nah, I don't think so. That's probably why they don't play it. Um, so, but anyway, uh, when Angus and the guys come back, you know, Brian and everybody, and we meet them. I introduced Cody, and he's, you know, you know, hey, you're bigger than me. You know? uh, I said, yeah, he's a little bit bummed, guys. I said, because his favorite song is Money Talks, and um, he didn't play it, and he's a little bummed down. They're like, oh, we're sorry, we you know what it's like. Well, two weeks later, package arrives in the mail. It's a box about this big. It's to Cody. And Cody opens the box, and it is about a million dollars in Angus bucks. Ha, that's great. Because used to drop those Angus bucks. So, Cody, I mean, it's just like, for, so for years, the house is just filled with Angus money. It's just like in the closets, in the play. It's everywhere, Angus money. That's pretty but cool. But I just thought that was like a pretty uh, cool thing, you know, for them to recognize it, disappointed this little kid, and, and, and feel it, and say, well, we're going to do a little something for him, make him cheer him up, you know, so that was cool. You know, that story right there sums up ACDC really well. It is it is, and always has been about the fans for this band. They will do anything to go out of their way to make sure their fans understand how important they are. And quite frankly, the sole purpose behind Beyond the Thunder is to serve up those stories and discuss this common bond that we all share. And with that, D, we end our show with a final question that we ask all of our guests and perhaps try to figure out the eternal question of why ACDC. If you had to describe ACDC in one word, what would it be? Driving. ACDC Beyond the Thunder theme song, Trailer Trash, written and performed by Gannon Arnold. 
VO talent by Bruce Jacobson. Cinematography and sound recording by Greg Ferguson. Edited and mixed by Eric Keel. Brand ambassador and marketing guru, Gino Bona. Written, directed, and hosted by Kurt Squires. Produced by Gino Bona, Greg Ferguson, Eric Kielb, and Kurt Squires. ACDC Beyond the Thunder is a Squires LLC current motion production. Copyright Beyond the Thunder podcast, all rights reserved. This has been a Nat Attack presentation. Shazbot. Nanu Nanu.